I'm not telling you the whole story. It gets worse. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Happy Friday. Happy as we can make it. We're Manson Mitchell. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. And we are joined at the board by the maestro himself. We're talking about bad boy Benny Mathers. How are you today, Benny? Yeah, doing all right. It looks like we uh, we haven't left last time we chatted. I mean, same situation I see. We're still healthy. Are yep. you still healthy? Yep. Uh, Good. Yep. Still, Good. still upright. <laughs> And there is a proactive, uh, is a proactivity, there is a proactive stance, how's mm -hmm. that for a term, being employed by not only the governor, mm -hmm. but people at all levels of government in the state of Washington, right. way down here in Florida, I hear about it, I see the positive effects, and I'm very proud of you guys. It's just great to be associated with all things Washington because of the way that things are being handled mm -hmm. in your Washington. Well, I appreciate that. We'll give a round of applause for everyone here for uh, accepting that, because um, that's what we do. Uh, we obviously, you know, from since the last couple of weeks of us chatting about this whole COVID-19 thing, it, it obviously happened fairly quickly in our, back, in our backyard first, and everyone else is taking note, which is really a cool thing. Uh, with some other news as of yesterday, the governor did uh, release a statement as far as we're pushing it out to, yes, another month. So may the 4th be with us. I'll go with that. Ah. Yeah, see what I did there. I did it last hour. Yeah, I see yeah. What you all did right, that. very clever. I know, right? So uh, we're just kind of yeah doing the same thing. It, it's just you know we're we're just moving forward. I was asked to predict, and not in any psychic way. Ooh. I don't have that ability. When I get it right, I'm lucky. But I was asked, when do you think that normalcy mm -hmm. will start to return? When we'll see signs of it? And my instant response was, I don't think you're going to see it until just after Memorial Day weekend. I don't expect a lot of travel or big public right. celebrations mm -hmm. there. But afterward, if we're doing what we should be doing, yes. then I think there will, there will start to be an easing of these restrictions as people are just itching to get out and live their right. lives again. They just don't want to lose their life in the process. Exactly. And I couldn't agree more. I have uh, some close friends that are in the, um, the you know, uh, that work at the hospital, the local hospital down here. And um, they are on, you know, of course, on alert. They're stocking up as much as they can. Their rooms and areas are filling up quickly. So this mm. is just to take heed on just do your best. Don't go out. Stay there. Have someone else do something for you. You know, take the precautions and let's, you know, what? Flatten that curve, right? Flatten that curve. Our next door neighbors are both 89 years old. Exactly my point. And their, yeah. mm -hmm. their families had a little family meeting without them. Uh-huh. And, uh, and told them, you will not leave the house, period. Yeah. We we will go to the grocery yep. store for you. Mm -hmm. Give us a list. We will go to the post office yep. before, for you and take your packages uh -huh. and mail. And whatever mm -hmm. it is you need out in the world, we will do it for you. Yeah. You are to stay yes. home, period. Uh -huh. And and so they got their marching orders this week. <laughs> and they are a completely lovely couple. Right. They, they both have all of their uh, faculties about them. Mm -hmm. They take a brisk walk every morning together, seven days a week. 
so they're very uh, healthy. Trying to stay but, ahead uh, of the six feet, like and, of everyone else. Around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> right. And their families have shown their sure. caring and concern by telling them they're not to leave the house. And what's great with technology so. is you, you two, and and also our guest today. You know, we're on Skype, we're on Zoom. Those platforms are just getting crazy busy right now. Of course, with the internet yep. streaming and all that, um, it, it makes it even more uh, helpful for those that that you know, can not leave their areas and they could still stay in touch with their families. Cause my mom actually with her boyfriend went over to my sister's to drop off some birthday gifts. They were belated just because of what was happening. And, but they uh, stayed six feet apart on the back deck and they just saw the kids run around and that was it. They didn't go inside. They did their thing. And then we still communicate on the phone and do uh, that. And a lot of other families should be doing the same thing. Yeah. Well, thank you for the local Seattle perspective. Right. We're going to get the international perspective yeah. today. From across the big pond. Whee. Yes. We have been looking forward to talking with her because it's been a while. And uh, Gary, why don't you give her her mad props? Let's bring her on and find out how things are going in the UK. I think you said a few minutes before we went on air that this is Becky Walsh's eighth appearance yes, on Manson Mitchell. Yes, it is. Well, I'd like to make that more of a habit. We enjoy this lady so much. Becky Walsh is a life coach and intuitive catalyst, and change happens in her company. Becky uses a high level of intuition, her tools in psychology, neuroscience, spiritual thinking, and coaching to shift perceptions. To her, stuck is a holding point while you're waiting for more information. Becky is an accredited practitioner of life coaching and works as a bespoke intuitive catalyst. As not one brain fits all, in her spare time, Becky is a Hay House author of You Do Know, Learn to Act on Your Intuition Instantly, as well as five other published books, mostly self-help and relationships. Her agony aunt, we're going to get into that phrase, her agony aunt or agony aunt, live television show Anything Goes with Becky Walsh aired across the Made TV network weekly in 2016. Becky also recorded numerous VTs titled Becky's Life Hacks, which saw her as a pop-up street agony aunt. (laughs) I just got to get into this. A street agony aunt. I'm American. I don't know the meaning of this term, but we're going to find out shortly. The show aired on Made in Bristol TV. Becky Walsh is also a regular pundit on ITV's This Morning, BBC's The One Show, Fiji TV, and BBC News, to name just a few. Her radio career started by her hosting her own Agony Aunt-style phone-in show live on LBC Radio every Friday for two years with co-presenter Chris Hawkins. Becky is a very much sought-after public speaker. She has appeared at the world-renowned seminar, I Can Do It. I have addressed audiences in Hong Kong. She likes to remind people, as well as Chile, Pakistan, Australia, the United States, the UK, and on the cruise ships. Her interactive live stand-up comedy show mixes self-help and improvisation on the stage. And she's on our stage of sorts, Becky Walsh. Becky, we're delighted to have you back, my dear. Thank you. It's really great to be with you. And I'm just exhausted listening to all of that. How did I do any of it? (laughs) It's a lot of stuff there. (laughs) Really incredible. And and to have our, what we like to call a soft opening there, I just need to know, what does the term agony aunt mean in the UK? Well, it started off as being like a a newspaper thing where people would write in problems 
And um, the agony aunt of the newspaper would answer these problems. So you would have like a dear Deirdre or a dear Margaret, but they were always, it was always a woman, I don't know why. I think that changed later on in, in time, when time went on. And it was just really the person that you could have a moan to, and then they would they would reply, but it was very public. And that, I think that that's where it started. It started in um, newspapers and magazines a really long time ago. I kind of grew up with that term. I see. So now we can relate to it because as I look across the desk at Suzanne Mitchell, I'm sure that you, Suzanne, snuck a peek every now and again. Even I did as much if it seemed like a racy topic. Looking at Anne Landers and, of course, Dear, Dear Abby, Abby. Her sister. Yeah. Her sister, and yet they both had their own columns, became internationally famous, and they were the agony aunts of their time, though I'm not sure they would claim ownership of that title, but it was the function. And people turned to them when they didn't know where else to turn for good advice. Yeah, yeah. And they were really good, those things, actually, really quite interesting. And so then, of course, when it went into other media, like radio, for example, you know, people would phone in and have a chat. So, um, so yeah, it went from letters to phone calls and, yeah, all sorts of things now. And now, in this day and age, Zoom. <laughs> Zoom and Skype. <laughs> It's incredible. The technology allows us to do this. Yeah, it is. I was saying that you were going to give us the international perspective here on the pandemic. Tell me what it is that you are doing and how that is going in the UK. I've been stunned and amazed at how quickly community groups just threw themselves together. Um, that, I think, has been one of the most in incredible things. Faster than our local councils, they just threw themselves together. They created, they organized, they galvanized. They did shout outs for volunteers. We've got, um, you know, just even ones, our local churches, the neighborhood watch team, but other ones as well that all came up that are all getting people who um, maybe don't have vulnerable people around them. They don't live with vulnerable people that can go and get other people shopping. And then a lot of the um, quick turnaround of industries so we have a gin-making distillery here that now is making um, antiseptic wipes and hand washes and things like that. Um, there's also a lot of the bakeries are now doing deliveries. So we, we sort of, it's, it's been quite remarkable how that's happened. And then every Thursday night, we all stand out in the street or open our windows, obviously keeping the, the we have a, a two to three meter distance. I know you said six foot, but yeah, we have this two to three meter distance. And everyone applauds our NHS and our emergency services. And everybody does it. And you can hear it for miles around. And um, I think the coming together of people have, has been the thing that's been really, really remarkable. But it, it just seemed to happen so quickly. One minute you're looking at um, Italy and China and going, oh, dear, isn't that awful for them? And then the next minute, of course, and we knew it was coming, but in a sense there was such a sense of disbelief about it. Um, and then the next minute you're kind of we were realizing within days we're we're going to be we're going to be locked down. And then, of course, there was the toilet paper crisis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why people thought that toilet paper was going to be the, the, the most important thing. And can you imagine people's homes? Where do you keep it? All of this toilet paper you've bought. <laughs> Is it under your sofa? You know, 
where would you keep it? And that's really kind of an irony too, Becky, because I'm sure things are different today. But back in the day, one typically ran from British toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I remember that this is going back, but when I went to school, you had what we called tracing paper toilet paper, which was, it literally was like tracing paper and it had a smooth side and a rough side. But it didn't really do anything apart from, well, I don't want to go into that, but um, it didn't help. Let's just put it that way. That was always, it it tended to irritate the skin in tender places is what I always heard. But of course, we're talking about 20 and 30 years ago. Yeah, it's not quite like that now. But yeah, when I was at school, we had some horrible stuff. Yeah, one sheet at a time as well. And again, I don't know what that taught me about personal hygiene, but definitely not not, nothing good. (laughs) We we happened to stock up on toilet paper right before things um, really got uh, started here heavily. Because we found it on sale, and I always get it when it's on sale. You know, I don't like to pay full price. So the last time it was on sale, I got, you know, 24, 36 rolls, whatever it was, and stuck it in the closet. And then all of a sudden, the next time I went to the store, those aisles were empty. Yeah. And I, and I said to Gary, quite by accident, you know, we don't need that because we stocked up, you know, not even anticipating this. And so we have been able to uh, use what we have and the store shelves remained empty up until this week. And so this week we were able to restock. But it is crazy that that's where people's priority was. There's your priority right there. (laughs) People running out of pasta and things like that, whether or not we thought we get pasta shipped in from Italy, I have no idea. I don't think so. But um, it's it's. It's just been a really, really remarkable time. Um, And, you know, I think our um, shop assistants are just doing a really amazing job with restocking shelves and, you know, but it has felt like an elongated Christmas. You know how Christmas, everything closes and you're kind of like Christmas Day, that's sort of it, really. It feels like it's Christmas Day every day, but without the lights and the presents and the family as well, because we're all quite separated from each other now. That is a great point, and it puts me in mind of the day after Christmas. Now, with British efficiency and propriety, I would think that you would be able to borrow the example of Boxing Day in order to make preparations for dealing with a pandemic. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Although, you, you know, you end up, I mean, Boxing Day is just about, um, you know, scratching your head and, and being hungover and eating the leftovers, <laughs> really. And it sort of, it does feel like every day you've got this slight sort of strange hangover about everything. It, 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 is, uh, it is very weird. And I think um, for those of us who've spent a lot of time working from home anyway, like I have over the years, um, it doesn't feel like such a massive change. It's probably impacted more my social life than my work life. Um, and that's okay, you know, the, the, the novelty of that will wear off. Um, but I think what's been really striking has been the the fear that people are feeling. Um, yes. And and that's yeah. because you have got this this you know the the pandemic and everyone's worried. They don't want to catch it. They don't want to, their loved ones to catch it. But also there's the mental health issues that come with not being able to be around people and not not being out in the world, and also losing your sense of purpose because. Every day there'll be a purpose, whether or not you're going to work or you've got something to do. 
And there's the people who have kind of stepped up to a purpose, which might be, if they're able to, volunteering and all of those things. But then there's the guilt if you can't do that kind of thing. And then you wonder, well, what use am I? You know, what, what should I be doing? So there's a whole range of emotions that we feel. And I do think, um, I, I use this analogy of orange squash. You know, life kind of dilutes your orange squash and makes a rather refreshing drink. But when life isn't, you know, meeting friends, going out, working, doing all of the normal stuff that we normally do where we have a sense of purpose about it, it's like the water goes out of your orange squash and then you're just left with this very thick, sticky liquid of yourself. <laughs> and, um, and in a way, when we're condensed like that, you might find having flashbacks to your past, things you haven't thought about for years, um, things that you haven't dealt with as well, suddenly starts to, to come up because life hasn't been diluted by everything else that you're doing. So um, I think that people um, need to be very kind to themselves going through something like this, because it's like being forced into therapy without a therapist. You know, Gary and I have spent a lot of time together as um, two adults who came together late in life, and we have we spend 24-7 together. And so that part of it has has been okay for us. We know a lot of couples that are kind of struggling with the fact that they're together now 24 hours a day. But I'll tell you where we notice or where I notice things is that I noticed that one one or both of us will leave the house every day to do a single item errand. I'm going to run to the pharmacy to get uh, distilled water. I'm going to go to the grocery store because we need some cream. I'm gonna to go to the post office because I have this letter to mail. And so I noticed that we we make these trips out to be out in the world and to, you know, get in the car, drive, get some fresh air, be away, to do no more than one small thing. And so I, I said to Gary, when we stop doing all these one errands, what, what will that look like? Because we were going to the grocery store for one or two things. And and so I said, okay, so when we stop doing that, that will be different because we won't be just taking off willy-nilly in the car, uh, see you later, I'm leaving. And so when we stopped doing that, that became different. And, and so when you're talking about uh, having this sense of purpose, I have talked to a lot of people who are taking on different uh, projects and different things to um, use their time well. And, uh, and so that's been kind of interesting. I chose to do a deep spring cleaning the way we used to do when I lived up north. And when you just, you know, shake all the cobwebs out of everywhere and clean every square inch, I'm cleaning in a way which is much deeper and more thorough than normally going through drawers, going through closets, going through that kind of stuff. And and Gary said, I've got so many unread books that I have been wanting to read, and now I'm going to do that. And so he has been reading and finishing books that he he has been wanting to do for years. So it is it is kind of a purpose to say, I'm going to read or I'm going to clean 
And, and because otherwise what you're doing is sitting and looking at the television and getting depressed over what's going on. Yeah. And it, and that purpose is really important because you're doing something, especially with the, the, the reading books, you're doing something you've always wanted to do. So we think quite often about things that we've always wanted to do as being, oh, I've always wanted to go to Mexico. Or I've always wanted to go to France, you know, um, and to suddenly sort of go, actually, there's lots of things that I've always wanted to do, you know, inside of myself that I can find to do. But I think, um, and I, I love cleaning. I find it really therapeutic. So um, I just haven't had the time to get to any of this stuff yet. I mean, I'm only two weeks into this. I just haven't had the opportunity to to, to really get things done. But we've been, um, I live in a little seaside town called Western Supermare, and it's a lovely place. And um, our tourist board um, is called um, Visit Western. So it's to invite people to come to Western Supermare and they're, they really go out of their way to invite people into the town. And now we've got a line across the word visit that says, don't visit Western. Because um, about a week ago, we had a very nice weekend and there were people just walking all over the place, like all down, come come to see the sea. And you're kind of going, ah, there's too many of you and you're not keeping distance apart. So right. they've actually done quite a big advertising campaign, um, which seems so... It seems so fun, really, in a way that a tourist board that is designed to bring people in is now advertising to keep people away. <laughs> so there's all of these kind of strange things that, that are happening as well, really. But I think that we get into these highs and low points where you, you'll be going, actually, I'm really enjoying this. I'm reading all of the books. I'm getting my cleaning done. I've done all of this stuff. And then from out of nowhere, you'll just get a sense of sort of, um, I don't know if there's another way to describe it other than grief it's not depression it's not sadness it's just a sense of loss and we hope it's all going to go back and like well go back but better that we build a better life off the back of this that we build better governance and better infrastructure and better ways of being and care more about each other off the back of all of this um but you know we we do know that at some point we'll go back to semi-normal life in some way and look back on this and go oh I wished I'd done more with my free time <laughs> yes that's uh, you know and I don't want to feel guilty about that because I'll be busy doing I am getting to books in a library I'm one of those people that collects books that I may or may not get to read in a single lifetime and now because this has been visited upon us I have challenged myself to read the books that I thought maybe I'd never get to read because I've got time on my hands. We are in relative isolation, so let's get to it. And at the same time, Becky, there I'm quite sure you're familiar with the movie, Suzanne was pointing out to me just this morning because she heard about it on the news that there are a lot of people who feel that we're living out a scene from the movie Groundhog Day. Yes. We're doing this day and we know tomorrow is going to be like that and the one after and the one after. So there's the need for variety, but I think also a sense to build in meaning to our daily existence when the planet is, to borrow a little Latin phrase, in extremis. Mm. And and I think also as well, it's, it's looking at, you know, we're very, very focused, focused on the COVID-19, but it's bringing it back to kind of say, actually, how many lives have been saved by the lack of air travel and the lack of pollution? You know, um, the fact that there was um, dolphins found in Venice, that's amazing, that the waters run clear in Venice. 
you know, it, it might just make us rethink how we've been doing things. And in a sense, we had this climate emergency that we've we've been talking about, especially in the in the UK. We've been having a thing called um, Extinction Rebellion, who have been doing a lot of um, demonstrations and, and bringing towns to a halt or things to a halt. Um, we had a local airport expansion that was turned down, um, partly because of Extinction Rebellion, um, and and their uh, education around it more than actually their standing outside the town hall with banners, um, but you know we've we've been going through an age of extinction, and I don't know how related the um, COVID nineteen is in in relationship to um, global warming and global events like that. But it's interesting how when we talked about climate change, we'd say things like, well, they're never going to get the planes to stop flying. You're never going to get people out of their cars. You're never going to get... And look what we've done. And Becky, I heard today that there are many fewer car crashes because people aren't driving. They were saying that the accident rate, car accident rate has plummeted because yeah. people are not in their cars. They're not seeing car crash accidents. They said police are not being used for car crashes because there's not enough cars out there. I thought, wow, that is very interesting that that's where we're saving lives. It's incredible. And I um, I go out for a run. I go out for a 40-minute run. I say run. Well, it's, it's sort of running. It involves my legs moving, but it's more like a fast walk involving <laughs> my get it. You know, um, apparently it's a Japanese art form and I'm sticking to that belief, but it's, yeah, it's not moving quickly. Um, and I, I got chatting to um, a road sweeper and it was a really, really windy day. I went out for a run with my coat on and uh, and obviously we kept the appropriate distance apart. And uh, he said, oh, it's so windy. He said, I don't know what's going on. He said, but it's blown all of the litter away. And I looked at him and then he went, oh, no, it's because nobody's out to drop it. <laughs> and, and i just thought yeah. it's yeah. the same with us it's the same with us there you just you don't have what you had to put up with before in our case becky it would be the snowbirds who come down from the colder climbs to sunny florida for winter and spring until about mid to late spring when they just head back home but what we are seeing is much less traffic there. So when you go out to do anything here, or if you're walking around the block, you just don't see nearly as many cars as we would expect in Florida at that time of year. So that's, you know, you count your blessings, but then I feel guilty immediately because I'm thinking, well, that the reason why you don't have the litter and the reason why we don't have so many car crashes are because people are having to hunker down. And it's the kind of thing that Mother Nature is enforcing for reasons best known to herself. Yeah, and this is the thing, isn't it? I mean, and it's it's uh, what's brought it home to me this morning was my um, my best friend. Um, so she, I'm a spiritual godmother to to one of her sons, and um, the whole family have had it. So she's the mm. one who's ended up with it worse. Um, mm. So the seven year olds had it, the twelve year olds had it. Um, they've all had different symptoms of it, but she's struggling breathing, whereas the other three didn't struggle breathing. So she's been um, struggling breathing. Um, she's she'll be okay, you know. She's um, she's resilient. She's young. She's you know going to have a good immune system and things like that. But when you start knowing people who've got it, at first it's kind of like a it's an interesting 
it's it's interesting. You you you're sort of watching yourself and analysing yourself, and then analysing humanity, and then noticing things like seagulls are now eating off my bird table where they would never have been seen dead in my garden um and uh because they eat chips on the seafront from the from the tourists and holiday makers they eat they eat whatever's left behind and they ravage through the bins but now they're having to slum it in my garden on my bird feeder because they're not getting enough food from the people in the streets so you notice all of these things and then when you find that someone who's really close to you has got it you kind of go whoa okay yeah this is this is a big thing. This is a big thing. And you can get it. No matter how old you are, you can get it. And the whole idea of staying in and flattening that curve is really important. And it's hard to know what will come first, whether or not there'll be some kind of um, predominance of, um, of immunity for people who get it. Um, I don't like the idea of herd immunity and the connotations of that, which is where our government was originally going. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. No, no. I'm not. Uh, well, luckily, so so originally, um, our prime minister um, wanted to do herd immunity, and what herd immunity basically is is it's that you let the virus run um, rabid, and so everybody ends up with it in some form or another, and they survive it, and they've got a uh, uh, immunity. Um, but of course, what's that, that kind of like do? the old chicken pox party that like yes. people yes. did way that, back yes. in the day? Just get all the kids together. They'll all get it at once and move yep. on. Yep. Yeah. Uh -huh. like yep. Exactly like that. But of course, that doesn't take into consideration people who might have, you know, cystic fibrosis or who are old or who have asthma or any of those other things, you know, or any of our elders. Um, so he he did a U-turn on that. But because he was going in that trajectory so long, um, our U-turn the U-turn the to going into isol um, isolation was quite late, which mm. means that we are currently on the same trajectory as Italy, but we're two to three weeks behind. So our anticipation is that we're one of the things that we're, we're of course, very worried about is for our NHS, because NHS staff are getting it, you know, you know, our, in the same ways it would be all over the world. And in actual fact, we're very lucky because we do have, um, you know, an infrastructure of, 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 of well-being through the NHS and other countries don't. Um, so. You know, what, what we're hoping doesn't happen is that we end up with a complete overwhelm in the NHS, which means that they can't take any more patients, but that would also have a knock-on effect to if I suddenly got an appendicitis and I needed my appendix out, that wouldn't happen. So I may end up dying of my appendix rupturing. So it's not just the people who have um, COVID-19 that needs to get into hospital, but there's any of us that might have anything that happens. Once a hospital is in overwhelm, it can't see anyone, you know, and, and that, that's when doctors have to start making choices about who lives and who dies. And, and th that's, that, that's a scary place to be, a really scary place to be. Um, so that's what flattening the curve is all about, is to not overwhelm those um, services that we've got available to us that are going to keep us alive. We are talking to the lovely Becky Walsh. 
She is warm, she is wise, she is witty, and she's British, which we think is kind of cool. So we're going to take a couple of minutes break, our only break of the hour, and when we come back, we're going to start to talk about intuition, about an uprising of inner power, and that's a phrase straight from Becky. How might we manage that during these times in which we are perforce living? Stay with us. We're Manson Mitchell, and you are tuned in to Seattle's home of alternative talk, AM 1150. We'll be right back. Preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Find out how Terry Loving can help you today. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcome Becky Walsh live from the UK. She is celebrated in London as the stand-up psychic known for both her wit and wisdom. On Saturday, Rebecca Norrington returns, eager to share her point of view on how to maintain your happiness even in the midst of the pandemic. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on AM 1150. Don't let that herd mentality lead you off a cliff. We support thinking for yourself on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour from the UK, Becky Walsh. Becky, if people would like to get in touch with you, they don't necessarily have to use the telephone to call. There are other ways. What is your website? How can people find you and what do you have to offer them? So it's beckywalsh.com and I work as an intuitive catalyst. So I get people moving, be that a stuck train of thought, irritating inner voices, you know, you know, those ones. Um, Or if it's, you know, career path, relationship path. Uh, So I help people move like that. And I've got a number of books and my YouTube channel is doing really well at the moment. So um, really helping people out on YouTube with a better mindset, especially uh, around this time. So um, lots, lots of stuff on offer. But if you head to beckywalsh.com, you're going to get to be able to find all of that so it's all there better mindset is one of the things we wanted to talk with you about today 
And in our run-up to the show, you were talking about using your intuition to better serve you. So I thought maybe you'd speak to that for a few minutes. Oh, I'd love to. So I think at this time, we're all feeling a sense of a lack of control. And control is, is really, it's in our DNA, it's in our nature that we want to feel that we have a sense of, of control over our lives. I mean, when we feel powerless, you know, we um, we really take it, it's a hard thing to for us to feel completely powerless and not knowing it, but we have an inner power that perhaps we don't engage with so much in our normal lives. And maybe this is the opportunity to learn how to do it so that you can, um, because when you do get this sense of like a, a lack of control, that's where the grief comes in. That's where we suddenly find ourselves crying for no reason and feeling emotional or flashbacks from the past coming up. And there's a very big difference between your gut-led intuition. So we're always talking about following your gut, but actually your gut tells you what to avoid rather than what to move towards. Whereas your heart-led intuition, um, which um, connects to the brain through the vagus nerve, um, your heart-led intuition really is about excitement and a sense of moving forward. And when we realize that actually control has always been a bit of an illusion, a nice one, but it's always been a bit of an illusion, I think that we start to go, actually, I need to hand over to, to, to something bigger, not necessarily like even outside of yourself, but to a bigger aspect of who you are, your own inner power, your own inner sense of control, your own inner sense of awareness and choice. So it is, even though we feel that we don't have any choice to be um, you know, confined within our homes, we are making that choice because we know it's the right thing to do. And whilst we are in our homes, listening to what your heart is telling you about yourself, about even your story up to this point and your future story, we allow the busyness of our brain just becomes a little more still because we're not filling it with, he said, she said, I did this. Oh, and Margaret in accounts was driving me mad. You know, we, we really only have our immediate family and the people that we care about that we're listening to. Maybe you're reading, reading books like Gary's, maybe you're watching some box sets, but predominantly your brain is going to get into a place of stillness and you're going to start to find that you can hear your intuition a lot better. And what will encourage that is literally just putting your hand on your heart and becoming curious. And that curiosity could be about about your purpose, that curiosity could be about what's the right thing for me to be doing at this time? Like, is there some way that I can be of service, even in a small way? In the UK, we're putting wind... um, uh, rainbows in our windows because children when they go out and exercise go rainbow spotting so um, when they go out with their parents they look they look for the rainbows in the windows so maybe you know at, at the grand old age of 55 you suddenly find yourself drawing a rainbow and you wouldn't have considered doing that before so it's about allowing the the flashes of insight the flashes of inspiration to come because you might find that the way that you've been living your life up to now has been a habit. And that once that habit is broken, it's very much like when you go away on holiday and you think, oh, when I get back, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that and I'm gonna change the way I've been living. Then you come back off holiday and you get back into your old routines. In a sense, you're kind of on holiday. There's that stepping out of your normal life. And by being in that stiller mindset, 
you can really hear your intuition better. And it might mean that you make a very significant change about how you want to live your life moving forward. Or you make a very significant contribution. You suddenly start to write that book you've always wanted to write or something emerges out of you that couldn't find the space in the busyness and your intuition is a real key to nurturing that thing to come out of you that's been trying to be heard and allowing it to emerge so that you can live your full power purpose within the time that you've got in isolation but then also for what happens after. Um, I think that that's an, an important thing to contemplate. Um, don't fill your time too much with busyness. Also allow the space because it's a blessing to have it. That was what, you know what? I, don't, I love that. I don't have to listen to any Sunday sermon. There you now go. it's just been delivered elegantly a couple days in advance. I love that, Becky, because it's it's inspirational and it reminds us that we have enormous resources within ourselves that go largely untapped when we are walking about our quotidian world and doing the things we do by habit. But when we are challenged, we sometimes, in this case, I think all of us are challenged to find the best within us. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's also, it's finding your awareness of the best as well, because, oh, we are so aware of our inner critics. But um, I was discussing this with somebody the other day, and then they said, I don't understand how to, uh, how I can know what my awareness is if my awareness has no words. And I said, well, have you ever been really drunk, you know, slurring your words, falling down the wall drunk, really, really drunk? Okay. Um, it's happened. Um, I I know that when I'm that drunk, which doesn't happen a lot, I swear, when I'm that drunk, my awareness of being drunk is totally sober. And so, I'm, not, I'm not sure I followed that. Let me explain it again. So I um, can answer you, that for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's easy. <laughs> you have to be somebody who knows how to drink to really be able to get it. So maybe I'll put Bingo. it in a different way. You know when you're really, really angry and you're having an argument with somebody and your temper is, and you're really, really angry and there's one thing that you could say that would absolutely win the argument, but you don't say it because you know it would end the relationship. It's how, how when you're that angry, do you not say it? The awareness stops you saying it because the awareness is calm even when you're really angry. So the awareness is sober when you're really drunk. You're aware that you're drunk, but the awareness of being drunk isn't drunk. It's almost oh, like, so oh I love that. It's like you're you're I secure that. in that moment. You discover that you are secure in the eye of your own hurricane. Absolutely that. Absolutely that. And this is exactly where we are at this time. You can be aware that you're like frightened and scared, but the awareness isn't. You can be aware that you're anxious, but the, but the awareness isn't anxious. And when people come and see me, and I had this great client, this young lad came to see me, and it's very interesting how our dialogue around things like depression and anxiety, um, you know, um, anything like that and lack of confidence has changed from it being a feeling that we are having to it being a condition. And I mean, I'll blame pharmaceutical companies for this, but I, 
it's not a condition, it's a feeling. And you can have, like, anxiety being almost like a, a panic alarm that's stuck on all of the time. It's because the feeling of anxiety is to warn you about something, usually to tell you that you're going outside of your comfort zone, which is often a very good thing. But when the panic alarm gets stuck on, the outside of your comfort zone can be you know, um, an email or going out into the street or, or anything like that. Um, we need to find a way to turn that panic alarm off. But one of the things that gets con concerning to me is when people say, I have anxiety, you know, like it's like a conditional place. And when you start to believe that something is like, I am sad, I have this, over a period of time, we notice it more in older people where we might say, oh, that sad old blah, 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 who lives at number 43, or that bitter old blah, 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 who lives at number, you know, we, that, that's when it becomes part of your personality and part of your character. And I think that within that awareness, when you can be aware that you're having upsetting feelings, the awareness doesn't make it a condition. You keep it outside of yourself as something you're experiencing. Like the thoughts in your head can be something you're experiencing, but you're not your thoughts. You're the thinker of the thoughts. So it's always finding a way to become an observer of, oh, this is interesting. I'm feeling, I'm feeling tense. Oh, this is interesting. I wonder why I'm feeling tense. And then you can sometimes do something about it because the awareness isn't tense, so it steps it back. So this lovely lad that came to see me who was telling me um, that he suffers with being unconfident, I said, I don't see that in you. And he went, I am unconfident. I said, really? He said, absolutely. I'm really very unconfident. And I said, I don't believe you. He said, I've come all this way to see you and you don't believe that I'm unconfident. I'm telling you now, I'm very unconfident. And then I started giggling. I said, who are you talking about? Because you're not talking about the young man standing in front of me telling me he's unconfident, because you're saying it very confidently. And he was talking almost like being the voice of the awareness, talking about another aspect of himself that wasn't fully him if you see what I mean. And I think we've always got two of us. Some people talk about it as being an inner child. But there's always two of us. One of you has got this, absolutely got this, has got this isolation, has got this fear, has got this anything that you've got going on. There's a part of you that understands that you have got this and your awareness has got this and you are in that space. And then there's another part of you that might look like a chihuahua in an oversized jumper just shivering. You know, um, and that, and that's very true. But you have to get in touch with that inner knowing that says, I know I've got this so that you can take care of the other part of you that feels broken and look after the other part of you that feels broken so that you don't buy into being broken because you're not really. It's just something that you may be experiencing, but it's not actually who you are so you can help yourself recover and have emotional resilience so much more quickly by doing it like that wow i really like that i'm gonna have to listen to this show in the archives <laughs> and I, which I'm we encourage sorry. everyone to do anyway <laughs> i know i'm joining you quickly in a foreign accent as well so i'm sorry about that i keep trying to slow down <laughs> sorry i think it's sexy as hell myself <laughs> You are going you know, to so get clobbered later. She's going to get one of those toilet rolls and chuck it at you from across the room. There we go. That would definitely work. And also, with all this talk of what you can do when you're drunk, I think maybe they need to reassemble Chumbawamba and you can be the lead singer. That would be great. Yeah. 
It was they were they were such a political band until they did that very popular song about weeing the night away. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great song too, by the way. Oh my. You know, you remind me, Becky, when when you speak as you do, that there is a witnessing self. That's how I've heard it referred to most commonly, this idea that there is a witnessing self and you can't be witnessing much of anything if you don't have self-awareness. And that again, or in turn, speaks to what you will know from your study of Buddhism and world religions. It comes down to taming the mad monkey mind. Maybe this is one of the chief benefits or at least opportunities of this pandemic is that we can start to look at ourselves differently in our isolation before we go out again. Absolutely, because normally the, the, the monkey's got an awful lot to be chimping around about. So, you know, be it somebody at work who's annoyed you, be it, you know, oh, what, I'm at this age and I haven't achieved what I wanted to achieve. And then suddenly the only thing that the monkey's got to chimp on about is actually being, um, is, is climbing the walls, really. Um, and I think it's, um, I think that the, the, the chimp can be really um, aggressive when contained. And I think that this is important to know. I used to work on cruise ships and um, I suffered from cabin fever at one point in time. And my, um, my boss at the time had taken what's known as my crew card because I'd, I'd said I didn't want to go to a meeting, but I went to the meeting. But he took my crew card to make sure I, I went to the meeting, which was weird. I don't know why he did that. But it just meant that I'd spent too long at sea. And when he came back on board the ship with my crew card, I was so angry with him that the security guard, who's a really American guy that used to work for the American police, he said, you need to back off. He said, you've got murder in your eyes. And I was like, I'm the most peaceful person. I've studied Buddhism. How can I have murder in my eyes? Um, but it was cabin fever, you know, and I think it's um, I think it's important to know that we really do need to watch who we are being because our little chimp brain um, can really get stroppy about not getting what it wants. So we, we really have to be the adult in the situation and, and parent ourselves so that we're not you know, nitpicky towards our family members or other people or our own inner critic. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's an important thing to think about as well, because the chimp definitely doesn't like climbing walls. <laughs> no, definitely not. I want to I wanted to head south, and I mean way south, as we wrap up our discussion. We've got about five minutes to go, Becky. I'm just very curious. Have you done, and I think your bio indicates that you did, you've been to places like Fiji and to Australia yes. doing your work? Yes. I absolutely. am so curious. I'll never get to Australia. I just, you know, and that's, I'm okay with that. There are a lot of things I need to do here in North America. And so I, I seriously doubt I'll ever get to Australia. In your time there, what was it like just being a visitor? I've had people tell me, for example, you get there and you learn to do the Aussie wave because they don't tell you in those lovely commercials that there are flies everywhere and that you have to kind of keep them away from you. Or they'll tell you to make sure you know where you're walking because they have the nasties, as they're called, the nasties, which is a compendium of creatures that are so lethal that if you're not careful, you won't make it back to wherever you came from. It's, maybe I'm being too much of an alarmist, but do you have any stories to share about that kind of thing? 
Yeah, so um, so I lived in Australia for a year, and um, you know the idea of the, the stereotype of Australians with corks on their hats to keep the flies away. I never experienced flies. I mean, I, I travelled all over all over the country, and the flies were kind of okay. That they must have solved that problem. But I remember sitting kind of like in the porch with a group of friends, and then suddenly I noticed that all of my friends were standing on their chairs, and I wasn't. So I stood on my chair because I presumed that that was the right thing to do. Then suddenly I saw on the floor what looked to me between like a, 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 a kind of like a hybrid between a scorpion and a cockroach. And she just picked up, she jumped off her chair, picked up the chair and just killed this thing with a chair leg. And, and I was like, no, I wanted to know what it was. And she went, you don't know what it was. You don't want to know what it was. I don't know what it was. She said, but it's better off dead. And I was just, oh, my gosh. Um, and I also went to help a friend move house, and they gave me gloves. And I said, oh, I don't need gloves. Like, I'm, I'm fine, you know. They said, no, 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 you need gloves. I was like, no, no, I, really, honestly, I don't, I've got quite tough hands. It's fine. And they said, no, you need gloves for the spiders because you could pick up a piece of furniture and there'd be a spider underneath it. I was like, oh, Give me the gloves. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so funnel web spiders, all sorts of bits like that. But, you know, it, you, you do get used to kind of picking up your shoes and shaking them before you put them on. But that's pretty much only the only precaution. It doesn't feel too bad when you're over there. So off the back of this, you do realize that the flights are going to be really cheap. You may not have an excuse you may you may have to you may really be able to go because uh, the flight prices at the moment to go anywhere if you're willing to take a gamble um, and hedge your bets for the future there's a lot of cheap flights out there at the moment. Yes, that certainly makes sense. There's also the the jet lag, Becky. When you flew to Australia, was it from London? Um, no, so I went from London to Thailand. Um, and then made my way um, across to Australia by visiting different countries on the way, so shorter flights. Um, but yeah, when I got to Thailand from London, the jet lag, I've never known anything like it. It was it was really, really tough. I think it was the first time I'd ever really experienced jet lag. And um, yeah, that was hard. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> Definitely oh, not yes. Great. I, a, a good friend of mine out in the Seattle area flew from Seattle to Australia, and she was excited. She had relatives over there. She wanted to go visit them in their homeland. And she got off the plane, and she's ready to go, oh, let's go eat. Oh, I want to go see everything. And then all of a sudden, slam. It's yeah. like she was like, I must sleep. <laughs> there well, was just no way to go forward. I had this happen to me in Hong Kong. I flew over there to give a talk and I thought, okay, well, I've got one night's rest and then the talk's the following night. And literally before going on stage, I just crashed. I fell asleep and uh, they found it quite hard to wake me up, but I woke up and then I had to face an audience of people with the worst jet lag I think I've ever had. Um, I can't remember a word I said. I got applause at the end. I think that was more by luck than anything else. It was, I, I was on autopilot. Definitely. Um, that was really, really a difficult thing to do. So, yeah, I would not I will never do that again. <laughs> it's such a pleasure to have you with us. I just can't believe we waited so long between visits. I take full responsibility and I will also take responsibility for extending an invitation in the near future. We love it when you join us, Becky. We love you and we look forward to your next visit to Mance and Mitchell. I'd love to come back. And I can't believe it's been eight times. That's, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much for every time you've had me. And I look forward to coming back in the future. 
Thank you, Becky. Stay tuned. Coming up next is the Christine Upchurch Show, followed by the Susan Harmon Experience, and after that, American Road Trip Talk with host Gary Mance, and we will be back again tomorrow at 10 a.m. Pacific. Stay safe, everybody. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.